It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, how are you today? I'm great. It's another early morning recording for us. It is an early morning recording, but I've been up for a couple hours, so I feel like I'm in the mode of recording now. I've been up for a couple of hours, too. What time did you wake up? Uh, 7 o'clock. Oh, 6.50. The dog was at the edge of the bed, <laughs> mewling and jumping around. I took the dog for a walk, too, so the doggy stuff is already done, and we're ready to talk to an amazing artist that is a huge, huge Rush fan. Huge, huge Rush fan. Just like us. Just like us. Maybe more. Probably more. <laughs> You can find us on Twitter. We're at RushFanCast. Instagram, find us at TheRushCast. Email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. Tell him what time you get up to walk your dog. The bass intro and outro, that's Lex. He's amazing as usual. And let's have an email, Jerry, to get us started before we talk to our amazing guest. Okay, it's not about dogs, believe it or not. I believe it. It's about Rush. And it's from Ralph. Hey, Ralph. He says, I love the podcast. Recently, I listened to the two Rush in Rio episodes. If you remember, Steve, we did two back-to-back episodes about Rush in Rio. We talked about the live album, and then we talked to Daniel Cotulo. Oh, yeah. He was fantastic. Uh, Ralph says, I am still catching up. Your review and the interview with Daniel Cotulo were both great. Who knew all the craziness, not just for the band, but for the whole crew was going on? It was fascinating. And yeah. It was pretty fascinating hearing Daniel's stories, right? <laughs> it was. I can't even believe it. Anyway, both episodes talked about O Bastira losing to Brian Wilson's song at the Grammys. Right. Has anyone mentioned that Neil writes about that night in his final book, Far and Wide? Wow, I forgot about that. Or I don't remember it, at least. I have been rereading all of Neil's books this year and came across this passage on page 114 a few days after listening to those episodes. So it was fresh in my mind. He doesn't bemoan losing, though he does call Brian Wilson the sentimental winner. His biggest complaint is that he had to stay for the main ceremony too. (laughs) (laughs) And then this is a quote. (laughs) This is the quote. As the hours went by, I thought I was enduring it but my mood seeped away into a dark pool of simmering anger. It was everything I despise, and I couldn't wait to get out of there. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess you got to show up just in case you win, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, that that would be me at the Grammys, probably. It sounds like a great thing to go to, but, you know, like four hours of just people congratulating themselves. I don't know. Oh, my God. Not up Neil's alley, that's for sure. And Ralph finishes, I know this episode is a few months old, but I just wanted to share, Ralph. Awesome. Thanks, Ralph. We really appreciate you writing in, and we really appreciate anyone who writes in about any episode, even if it was three years ago. We don't care. <laughs> That's right. You know, I recently got an email from someone because the first 10 episodes of our podcast were no longer on any podcast app. Really? Not even on Podbean? Oh, yeah, on Podbean they were. But oh. it tur- turned out that the default episode number in the feed was 150 and since we have 160 now they just lopped off 10 so i reset it so everybody should have all the episodes set it for 10,000, just in case i set it for 250 (laughs) and i'm thinking there's no way there's no way we're getting to 250 we'll see we'll see today jer our guest is a multi-award winning musician and songwriter who is known for her incredible covers of rush songs songs have been featured on the Songs for Neil tribute albums. She also performed live at Rush Fest Scotland 2022. 
Leonie Jane Kennedy, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Appreciate you joining us. Leonie, we like to ask our guests their Rush origin story. When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? Uh, I originally became a fan of Rush through YouTube suggestions. So I must have been maybe eight or nine, maybe even 10, like kind of late primary school days. I was listening to a lot of status quo um, and heavier rock stuff. And naturally YouTube would give me suggestions for things that I might like as well. Rush came up and it was actually their performance of La Villa Strangiato at Pink Pop in 72. And so it completely missed the first half of the song out, which I never knew until years later when I re kind of listened to the actual song on the album. But that was when I first heard Rush and Alex's playing mixed with, you know, the rest of the musicianship in that band were just, it blew me away as a young kid, to be honest. And I just kind of went, oh my God, what have I been missing out on? Because <laughs> um, it, it kind of beats you kind of... Um, in terms of listening to Status Quo, it, Status Quo is great, still one of my favourite bands, but at the same time, when you compare them with Rush, music-wise, it was more kind of intriguing for me at a young age. So that is how I kind of discovered them. Uh, I think the what am I missing out on is something that every Rush fan says at some point when yeah. they first start hearing them. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us how you got started in music, Leone. Was the guitar your first instrument? It was, yeah. Uh, it was a little Spanish guitar that my grandparents bought me that was probably quarter-sized or a lot smaller than your average guitar. So I, I started on that when I was probably about four years old um, after kind of watching my mum play guitar and letting her teach me certain things that I I always say that it was a, a vivid image of a woman with a box and some strings that made noises. And it was again very intriguing so I picked it up from my mum and my family were very musical so I just kind of got started very young and just never stopped really I was always so intrigued and I went on to drums for a little while I had some drum lessons I tried some guitar lessons but eventually I just ended up teaching myself and the songs and the songwriting kind of came from watching films and trying to play the end tracks of films when it comes up with the cast list and the crew list at the end. I would sit and listen to whatever song was playing and try and figure it out just by constantly rewinding the telly and listening out for things that were I could maybe play on the guitar. I ended up doing a lot of that and trying to recreate things that were maybe full bands um, and doing it on my own, just with the acoustic guitar and my voice, um, which naturally came, I guess, just because I didn't really go, oh, I can't do it because it's just me on my own. I just did it because I heard certain things and tried it on the guitar. And when did you start writing original material? I was probably about 11, I'd say. I did it very badly up until that point, but I'd probably say 11 was when I took it seriously. Um, I did a, a charity event, like a fundraiser thing, with a song called Butterfly. And, you know, it wasn't my best song, but I went into a studio and got that recorded, and it was the first professional song as a young kid that I guess I had that I was like, right, I'm going to take this seriously now. And then in 2013, I actually won an award for writing songs, which was um, the Under-19s Singer-Songwriter Award for Rock the House, which was held in the Bedford in Ballum. And we later got to go to the Houses of Parliament with them. Wow. So it, it, within those two years, I developed my songwriting to the point where I, I felt comfortable going in front of an audience and showing them what I wanted to do. And they liked it as well, thankfully. <laughs> I read in your bio, Leone, that you also won the Freddie Mercury Scholarship. Can you tell us about that? 
Sure, yeah. The Freddie Mercury Scholarship is endorsed by Brian May and Roger Taylor of Queen. So the university that I attended for my degree um, was ACM in Guildford, and they essentially sponsor this scholarship, which is in memory of Freddie Mercury. So it's Brian May and Roger Taylor themselves who listen through the applicants and what they've kind of shown them, and they get to choose one person per year for that scholarship. And in 2018, that was me. And what does that entail? Is it like a single year scholarship for music education or for a regular university? Yeah, so it, it covered the entirety of my university tuition fees for the whole two years that I was there. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. It's an amazing feeling. And I also applied for the Basker scholarship as well. So you could apply for multiple and I got runner up for the Basker one and was disappointed when obviously I didn't receive that one. But then a couple of weeks later, I got a, a phone call from someone at ACM telling me that I'd won the Freddie one. And uh, I just couldn't believe it because I didn't know that it was even possible to get runner up and then go on to the Freddie one. Yeah. But I mean, I'd much prefer the Freddie one to be quite <laughs> honest. <laughs> to have that kind of a name on my repertoire and under my belt is fantastic. And I got a nice little write up from Brian May about it, which is incredible. And yeah, amazing feeling to be recognized by people like that. It must be amazing knowing that Brian May and Roger Taylor listened to all of those songs yeah, and thought yours was the best. That must be an incredible feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, 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 you don't get to see who else like right. applied for it. You don't get to kind of compare or, you know, I, I just had to trust that I was good enough because um, that can come up as a musician sometimes. You do doubt yourself. So when it happened, it wasn't really that real until we actually went to the premiere of Bohemian Rhapsody when it was released. Oh, so we got nice. invited to the, the premiere in London and it was the cinema kind of theatre place next to Wembley Arena that they held the Bohemian Rhapsody premiere. And me as well as two other students who performed on The Show Must Go On, which we did a cover of in Metropolis Studios where Freddie's piano is, we got to go to the premiere and we saw all of the band, all of the kind of cast and crew members there. And it was it was incredible. We went with our head teacher or uh, the chairman of ACM at the time, uh, and Ace from Skunk and Nancy and a few others that they came along and it was, you know, I'm a massive Mike Myers fan as well. So to see him prancing around on the stage was, <laughs> that was surreal. Yeah, it was an amazing, amazing experience. And so this kind of ties in with you going to the Taylor Hawkins concert. Yeah. Just a few weeks ago, you got to see not only Rush for the first time, but you got to see Queen perform as well. Oh, that was insane. That gig, I was crying like a baby when Rush came on stage because in 2020, when Neil passed away, I knew that I would never be able to see Rush as they were and as I knew them. But I wrote my dissertation on Neil Pitt um, and the impact that his previous psychological trauma had on his songwriting because hmm. um, that's of interest to me I'm, I'm a songwriter myself so I did it on that and in dedication for Neil as well so seeing them perform without Neil but with Dave who we all know is a, a close member of Rush I guess because of the induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and stuff and just their connection that they had with the band anyway so to see it with Dave to see them perform with him was just magical I, I i don't have the words for it honestly i was put right back in my nine-year-old shoes listening to la villa and i just felt it was otherworldly and to see queen as well i'd never got to see queen live i don't think a lot of people my age will have but brian may came out on stage with a guitar 
and it was just an acoustic and he did a version of Love of My Life and he came up on the catwalk and he walked towards the end of the stage and I was just at the right hand side of the stage just on the front row so we managed to get some seats so it was a brilliant view and you just looked around the whole of the arena with everyone's phones lit up and it was just insane it was magical that's the only word I can think of because it was such an honour to be there and such a pleasure and I never thought I would get the chance to see all of those people live like yeah absolutely incredible yeah i follow you on instagram and i was watching your you know i was looking at uh, your reactions it was incredible to see how happy <laughs> you were to yeah. see them it really was incredible how do you think that um dave did on the drums i think he did an excellent job he was brilliant yeah i don't think there is i mean you know you can get better drummers you can get more technical drummers but dave had the feeling yeah. he, you can tell that he's a rush fan you can tell that he he's doing it in respect of neil peart as well and even Omar, when Omar came on, it was slightly different to the original version of YYZ. Right. But even still, it was you don't want Neil because nobody is ever going to live up to Neil. You want them to be individual about it. And I, I respect both of them completely. Um, but I think Dave had such a great feel on that song. It was brilliant. Yeah. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about your dissertation? I'm very interested in that. What exactly was the, sure. was the topic? So the title was Poetry to Prog. Um, an analysis of works by Primo Levi and Neil Pitt as influenced by psychological trauma, which is quite a mouthful. <laughs> well, well, it's the name of a dissertation. It has to be, right? Yeah, exactly, right? So there was Primo Levi, who is an Auschwitz poet, or was an Auschwitz poet, sorry. And his poetry and his words were very similar to those of Neil's. And being a Rush fan, knowing Neil's lyrics inside and out and having studied them before for things in high school and college, just out of interest, I recognised Primo Levi's lyrics and stanzas and rhythms in his writing to be very similar to that of Neil's. And they had no correlation whatsoever in their life. They had no interest in each other. There was no connections between them. So I was just intrigued to see why they were so similar and why someone like Primer would kind of come across very similar to Neil. And just kind of looking at both of their work, I realised something that they had in common, which was psychological trauma. So the, the history that Neil had with his, his wife and his daughter passing away and the obviously the experience of going through Auschwitz is traumatic in itself. So both of those people had similarities in the way of psychological trauma. So I, I looked into that a little bit and the background of how it can have an impact on writers and songwriters, um, people in the creative arts in general. And it turned out that after analysing both of their lyrics and stanzas and the way that they write, the kind of impact that trauma had on them influenced the way that they wrote and the rhythm that they wrote in and certain elements of the songs that they wrote were influenced by their trauma. Um, so the conclusion was essentially that, yeah, it does have an impact on the way that you write, but it can lead you down a similar path if, you know, they had nothing in common. So why would it go so similar that I would be thinking as a girl uh, who's like trying to study music as well as the psychological side of things? It just didn't make sense. So I looked into it and found that out and I think I'm I'm currently studying a master's and I'm going to look into it a little bit more and see how audiences can also be affected by that as well. Mm. So when you go to a concert, the way that I remember, you know, the Taylor Hawkins gig, I don't remember exactly everything visually, but I remember the feeling. I always remember the feeling that I get from things like that. So I'm sure other audiences and people in the audience will too. So I'm going to look into the way that songs are written 
and if the audience can write a song with their kind of brain waves so i'm going to stick a monitor on people's arms you know like the apple watches that can test your pulses and stuff yeah so if i do that with a load of people in the audience and get them to have a reaction to my songs they can essentially write the music by the peaks and the troughs of their heartbeat or their heart rate and if you put that against a score then you can score it based on the peaks and troughs oh. so that is the hope for it it will take a lot of time and I'm currently looking into funding for it um, in terms of the equipment needed but the next two years I'm going to be trying to do something similar to that and it's it stemmed from the dissertation that I did on Neil. Wow can I volunteer for that being the audience? To have... <laughs> Absolutely yeah I'm, honestly yeah I'm, I'm looking for subjects if you like. Yeah I'll, I'll be that sounds like a great idea um, and lyrically were you focusing on vapor trails for Rush songs? Lyrically in terms of the dissertation or? Yeah, yeah, in terms of dissertation. Yeah, I did. Um, it was Red Sector Ray. So I, because of the connection with Auschwitz, I looked into Red Sector Ray because obviously Geddy's parents mm -hmm. had that link with Auschwitz um, and the war as well. So I looked initially into Red Sector A and then a couple of other songs off the top of my head. I can't quite remember. It was two years ago now that I wrote it, but Red Sector A was the kind of pinnacle one that I looked at just to kind of keep the connection there. And just a few others, because there are a lot of Rush songs that you'll recognize rhyming patterns and things. So I, I looked into ones that were similar to that. Well, I'm sure in your live shows, you get quite a great reaction from the Rush songs you play. When did you start to incorporate Rush into your live sets? I mean, the first Rush event that I ever did was in 2014. And I think I must have been 13 or 14 at the time. And it was because of John from Moving Pictures. So my teacher, John, who taught me throughout high school, he's in a Rush tribute band and he was at the time in one called Counterparts um, with my other teacher, Phil Brown, on guitar. So I knew that they were playing Rush Yukon at The Box in Crew in 2014. And it was the first time that I'd ever seen them live before. So I went along and I was asked by one of the organisers to perform a few songs of my own. So I went in and did a couple of acoustic tunes that I'd written. And I also got John to teach me Hope on the guitar mm. so my final song of the set was hope and then the next year i returned and i was a part of the kind of rush fans got talent at the event which is essentially people get up on stage and they perform rush songs and we kind of rehearsed it all at home it was me william winsborough alex dunn zahid hassan and daryl trees birch and we'd rehearsed xanadu and jacob's ladder at home for the the year so we had a year to learn all of it and get together and do it. And we didn't have a rehearsal. We didn't have a, a sound check either. We just got up on stage and did it. And I think Xanadu took off really well when um, it got put on Planet Rock and there was a review of it on Planet Rock and things like that. Uh, but that was the first kind of mega experience, I guess, that I had with Rush songs and the reaction from the audience as well. I didn't start incorporating them into acoustic songs purely until this year actually because I was asked by Zahid Hassan who was the drummer on Xanadu back in 2015 who organised Rush Yukon for this year and that was I think it was February maybe this year so that's when I first got together with my acoustic and the Rush songs and put a set list of tunes together that was purely me and the guitar so yeah it was, it's actually just this year that I've started doing that but I, I went back later in the year to do Rushfest Scotland. And I did the same set, but I, I obviously rehearsed it a little bit more and 
incorporated the kind of reactions of the audience as well, which ones worked, which ones didn't. And it's hard to tell sometimes because when the audience is purely Rush fans, you can't actually tell if they like it or not because they could be analysing it going, oh, that's quite good. Or they could be looking at you in a way going, are you serious? <laughs> so I was finding it quite difficult to to understand if they liked it or not. I knew that they liked Kid Gloves immediately because Kid Gloves obviously is an acoustic solo and being a female as well, uh, it's, it's less about gender, I think, but more the fact that I did a solo acoustically and they liked that. So I brought that one back and they liked it again and Steve asked me to put it on the Songs for Neil Vol 3 and yeah, the, that that was definitely one that everyone liked and I know that Zahid Hassan liked Available Light as well and you know there was a few men that came up to me afterwards and said I was in tears I was crying like beautiful renditions and things like that so I know it has an impact on some people I know that it's not the same for a lot of people but I'm just doing my thing I'm paying my tribute to Rush um they're a band that have influenced me for a lot of my musical life and my songwriting is very influenced by Neil so in respect to them I'll keep on doing it until people say stop <laughs> I think people are very hungry for Rush live music. Yeah. And to hear it done in a different way is, you know, a very Rush thing to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So we'd like to refresh our listeners' memory. A few weeks ago, we played your cover of Kid Gloves on the podcast, but we'd like to play it again right here. A world of difference, a world so out of touch. Overwhelmed by everything But wanting more so much Call it blind frustration Call it blind man's bluff Call each other names Your voice is rude, your voice is rough Then you learn a lesson That it's cool to be so tough
and knuckles and go play the fool and go wear a crown of thorns reverse the golden rule handle with kid gloves handle with kid gloves then you learn the weapons and the ways of hard not school put on your kid gloves put on your kid gloves then you This version, Leone, to me, has so much more emotion than the Rush version. Can you tell us about this song and why you chose it? There was no kind of reason initially behind choosing it other than I felt like it was a riff that was instantly recognizable and it was a Rush song that was underrated in a way. I mean, no Rush song is underrated to a Rush fan, but from a listener's point of view, um, as someone who didn't grow up with Rush and just listens to them online or like watches live videos it was it was just a song that I felt I neglected for a while and I really liked it whenever I listened to it and I remember Phil in high school who was the guitarist and counterparts with John he was playing the kid gloves riff and I really struggled to figure it out so when I remembered that memory I kind of went back to it and go right I'm going to nail it this time I'm going to prove Phil wrong so I, I initially did it and was like right I've got it need to do something with it and I just learned the guitar that Alex played on the song. So I got like a live video of him playing it up and just followed along with him and tried to really feel it out. So there was no there was no kind of actual decision to go, right, I'm going to do Kid Gloves. It more just kind of came around because I like the song. And the emotion behind it, I guess, is always going to be there because of my love for Rush and the kind of lyrics there as well, I guess, about... It's always going to be about an outcast kind of situation thing and being that that kind of weirdo in the class or the kid that was always put to the side because of their influences and stuff. And I think Kid Gloves has that kind of an impact on me as well as, as many other Rush songs. But I felt that growing up to the point where I didn't tell anyone that I liked Rush because they didn't like me because of that. And it wasn't until I got to high school and met John and Phil that I kind of came out with the fact that I liked Rush. It was almost like I had to hide it because people didn't understand it. And then obviously meeting a couple of 40-year-old blokes who are into Rush already, it was very comforting. So I kind of get that feeling whenever I do songs that Rush have written that the lyrics kind of lean more towards the, I guess, the the outcast kind of thing. Yeah, you know, that's a similar situation for, at least for me, I think for Steve too, but in the early 90s here in the States, it was so uncool to love Rush. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Nirvana was around, Pearl Jam was around, Alice in Chains was around. And to yeah. say that you liked Rush, I, I kept my Rush fandom under the covers, you know, <laughs> for a good 10 years. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's strange that. It's really strange. It is. But got to do what you got to do. So, Leone, we understand you're working on a full album of Rush covers. Tell us about New World Woman. Yeah. <laughs> New World Woman is an album that I guess I've always wanted to do since starting to be involved in the Rush community. So I was 14 when I officially started in the community 
and feeling the kind of love and the respect from fellow Rush fans has always been amazing. And recognising in the past couple of years that I can kind of reciprocate that feeling and get that back from the audience with me performing those songs is incredible. So to feel that people kind of respect me for not only the way that I play my music, but the way that I kind of put my own spin on Rush songs is an amazing feeling. So I just wanted to kind of give back a little bit to the community that have kind of guided me along doing what I'm doing at the moment. So yeah, the the album consists of probably about 11 songs at the moment. And it's basically the set list that I've been doing at Rush Fest Scotland and Rush Yukon this year. There's a couple of oldies, a couple of newer ones on there, but it's purely Rush and it's purely my take on those songs. And there's a couple of special guests on there as well, which I won't reveal, but they're all a part of the Rush community and people that have helped me along the way. You sent us a sneak preview of the record, so let's check out your version of Tears. All of the seasons and all of the days All of the reasons why I felt this way So long, so about you but this is the most beautiful and haunting yeah. version of tears that i have ever heard what do you think yeah it's absolutely arresting i love this version of tears and just tell us about recording it because it really is 
an amazing version. Yeah, so I recorded this with my Alex Lifeson signature PRS acoustic, the Angelus, and I just had a AKG tube mic along with a, a DI line and just did it in a couple of takes, really. It didn't take a lot of... I don't want to say not, not a lot of effort, because of course it does. I've put effort into the songs that I do, but it was so easy to do because of the love that I have for that song in general. It's it's a very underrated and unlistened to Rush song, even from a Rush fan's perspective. Right. So I just completely wanted to do it justice and I kept it simple, just guitar and vocals until towards the end of it, obviously there's a little bit of instrumentation, like a, a violin and a flute kind of coming in towards the end of it. Um, which may or may not expand. I am working with someone on, at the minute to try and see if we can do something different with it. So it is just a demo. There may be things that are added to it, but at the minute, I'm, that is the basis for what the song will be. But, you know, it, it could change and there's still a click in there. That's just a demo. So Steve Brown was nice enough to tell us about some of the songs you played at Rushfest Scotland, and he said that your version of Cold Fire, which is going to appear on New World Woman was just amazing. That's a kind of a deep track off Counterparts. Yeah. Can you tell us why you, you chose Cold Fire? Oh, I love Cold Fire. Cold Fire was probably when I first listened to um, Counterparts, I loved all of the tracks, but that one stood out to me just because it was so gnarly. Like the riff that Alex, when he does the rhythm part with his his hand is just it just immediately caught my attention and then when it goes into that kind of mellow it was long it was so the transition was so nice and i thought it was quite ballady for rush as well so i just wanted to do it justice again the same with tears I, it's just a song that absolutely amazed me and it's one that stands out that every time i listen to it i just look forward to the the ride that neil does when it he does that, um, I, don't, I don't know what you call it, I'm not a drummer anymore, but he does that kind of, that thing in the chorus when he's just sitting on the ride and you just got to do it. You've just got to sing along with it or like drum along with it and there's all parts of that song that I love and that's probably why I chose it. The same really with every other Rush song that I did in that set is if it stood out to me um, and if I would put it in a playlist or show it to people who don't necessarily listen to Rush, I would show them that song because I, I know that they would like it. That's interesting because we've talked about what songs we would play for people mm. who are just getting into Rush. And I don't think yeah. anyone we've ever talked to has said Cold Fire. That's so interesting. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'd show them the classics, wouldn't you? But only because they might have heard them. I would go completely the other way just because if they don't know a thing about it, then they can't judge it based off of the communal judgment of it, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Jerry, I don't know if you remember, but when we discussed Cold Fire, you mentioned that you didn't really love the fact that Neil wrote some lines from a woman's perspective. I don't think that's true. That you said that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious what you think, Leone, because part of it's from the man's perspective and part of it's from the woman's perspective. What are your thoughts mm. on how Neil tackled that? Oh, I think he, he nailed it completely. I mean, when me and John did it live at Rushfest Scotland, it worked really well. It didn't work so well when we did it at Rush Yukon because we didn't rehearse it properly. We kind of just rehearsed it away separately and then got on stage and did it. So I ended up mainly doing some of the male parts and John did some of the female parts, which was quite, it was quite funny on the day. But we, we had a little rehearsal in the hotel before we did Rushfest Scotland and we got it down. 
So it's nice to be able to have it. It's almost, I think John said something actually about if they were to do another song with Amy Mann, it would more than likely go like that. So the way that Neil's written it would be that the kind of call and response element of that song would work really well if Amy was to join them. But yeah, I, I think he tackled it really well. I've never really thought about it being weird or anything too kind of obscure for their type of writing. I'm, I'm kind of open to anything with them, to be honest. So for me, it was just like, oh, it's, it's Rush, it's another song. He's just done it from this perspective this time. I do that all the time in my songs, and I think it's because of songs like Coldfire. I write from all sorts of different perspectives. I'll do a verse saying, I this, I that, and then I'll do, you know, a chorus going, we or she or they, like, there's... There's no reason to keep it like in one perspective, I don't think. I think it makes it more interesting when you explain it afterwards. You know, another song we wanted to ask you about is a song that Rush fans love across the board, and it's another deep cut from Presto, Available Light. Tell us about that one. Available Light is kind of had a similar impact to me with Tears because it was so slow and ballady at the start. And then when he hits the higher note, when he goes into the first in the available light, it just takes your breath away, really. And I thought acoustically, I was also thinking when I was doing all of these songs live, it has to work acoustically. Because if I'm just trying to recreate an electric song and trying to do it as though I'm the full band, the way I've done other covers in the past, it's not going to work. So I looked at available light and knew that I could nail it um, and do the absolute best that I could with what I had. And this... It's quite easy to play, to be fair. I think it's just the versions that I'm doing of it is very similar to how I play a lot of my own stuff as well. So, again, there's, there's not much purpose behind the kind of choosing of these songs. It's just songs that I love to play of rushes that I would put on, on my speakers and listen to. So, yeah. So, Leona, before we wrap up, we'd like to check out one of your original songs, if that's okay, to give Rush fans a taste of your work. Yeah, absolutely. So here's Life Like This.
Tell us about this song. Really amazing. Thanks. Um, Life Like This was a song that I wrote when I was still at university. I kind of woke up one day and was fed up of having, I think it's, I can't remember what you call it. I think it's just like stuck in a rut, essentially, as a songwriter. Writer's block, that's what you call it. So I had writer's block for a, a couple of weeks and I was so fed up with it that I ended up sitting down at my desk and going, why don't I write a song about how difficult it is to write a song? And I wrote it from the perspective of the song. So not a human, not a male, female. I wrote it from the perspective of a song. So the ink will soon define what's written in your mind. So essentially that's saying that you might not have it now, but eventually something is gonna come out onto the paper that is in your mind that you don't know about. And I'm seeing that even now in my writing. Um, I'll write a song and not know what it's about until I look at it and go, oh, this happened recently, maybe it's about that. So it's all in your head and it'll come out eventually. You've just got to be patient with it. And that's the kind of idea of behind the song and the lyrics of the song. But in terms of the chords and things, I was listening to a lot of um, Soundgarden at the time and they just had a massive influence in terms of the chorus going into a major, which lifts the song quite a lot. So I put that perspective on it in terms of the chords and it was meant to be a bit more of a bluesy rock song more than anything and I was more interested in getting things done with the band at that time as well so I knew that it would work if I just had that bit of a a major lift going from such a minor kind of chordal thing at the start and we still play it today I mean I've got a couple of new band members at the moment just because half of mine have moved up north so i yeah, it still works really well and it's a great song to play live and everyone everyone always loves it. We did um, the original live recording with John Gallen, who is the producer of Motorhead and Uriah Heep. Um, he produced them a while back, but John was a teacher of mine at ACM when I was studying and he wanted to do a live session with us that was essentially me and the band playing all of our songs live in the SSL room, the recording studio that we had access to. And we did it throughout the day. It was a Wednesday and we got through the whole of the, I can't remember, maybe seven or eight songs in like 10 hours or something like that. Like we just went through it whilst he was doing his lectures, essentially. We were the demonstration band for his lectures. So the live album that we did with him was just done in lectures. It wasn't like a set recording thing. It was just, let's see how it goes. It's a demonstration. We might use it, we might not. So can we look forward to an album? of originals anytime in the future? Absolutely. I've been working on an album of songs for possibly two years now. Um, So after we did the live album with John, I decided that I wasn't happy with the quality of it being live. I thought the songs could have done with a bit more justice um, and production behind the scenes, just because I, I could hear certain things that, you know, being a Rush fan as well, I could hear things that weren't necessarily there when it was just played live. I wanted to hear like crashes or bangs or like little moments that just kind of stand out for the song. So I've been working on an album for the past two years with the band um, and because of a lot of production issues um, and personal matters, it's not really been done yet, but we've probably got the end of this year, definitely it will be completed. So we're gonna aim to release it next summer. Uh, It's called Synthetic and it should be I'm hoping it's going to be very good. (laughs) (laughs) And what about New World Woman? When do you plan on releasing that? Uh, I plan on releasing that if it gets done before we do Rushfest Scotland next year. So hopefully maybe February, March time. Awesome. So this episode, Leone, will drop on October 10th. And I saw you're doing an acoustic cover show at Aloft in London 
on October yeah. 10th. So that's tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What can London fans expect if they come see you tonight? Uh, yeah, tonight is essentially a friend of mine, Tony, got me this gig and I wanted to try out just a couple of different acoustic covers. So similar to what I've been doing with the Rush songs, I've also done a cover of Everlong by the Foo Fighters and there's a few in there like No Doubt and I just wanted to try something that wasn't my own songs. And I've been doing my own songs for so long, even acoustic shows, that I've kind of neglected other people's songs. And there are a few that I really want to do what I've done with the Rush songs too. So tonight is essentially me performing my version of songs that I like. <laughs> and, you know, it's a, it's a great place. I've played Aloft quite a few times now and it's always a great atmosphere. So yeah, feel free to come along. Your Rush covers are amazing, Leone. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Rush Fancast. And we look forward to New World Woman. Cheers. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. So, Jared, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there with Cold Fire, but when we talked about Cold Fire, you really laid into it. Let's be honest. I remember that now. <laughs> as soon as you said it, I was just like, no, why would I say something like that? That doesn't sound very generous of me. But, uh, yeah, you're 100% right. Look, Cold Fire is a great song. I mean, we argued about the line, if you recall. I do recall now. It was... She said, just don't disappoint me. You know how complex women are. Yes. And I thought it was the man saying, you know how complex women are. And you were pretty sure Neil meant it to be the woman, which is why you didn't like that line. Yes. And we still disagree about whether or not the woman is saying it or the man is saying it. Oh, absolutely. I still disagree with you. And I was going to ask Leone about it, but then you got so defensive about cold fire, I decided to just... <laughs> I literally couldn't remember what I said. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to seem like I'm too critical of some songs. Anyway, Leonie Jane Kennedy, how great is she? I know. It's crazy, right? That version of Tears, I'm serious. That's the best version of Tears you're ever going to hear in your life. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, we played a long time ago, I think, a part of the Alice in Chains version. And at the time, we said, wow, nobody could do a better cover right. of Tears than this. But we were proved wrong. We were proved wrong. And the great thing about that is people tend to think side two of 2112 is weak. Yes. But hearing Leone's version of Tears tells you what an amazing song that is. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's, it's so odd to have a cover change your mind about the original. It happens every once in a while. And I can't wait to hear Leone's version of Cold Fire. I want to hear how she tackles the overlapped vocals that's on that song. Yeah. Because she's got to figure out a way to do that, and I'm sure she's going to, and it's going to be great. And Available Light, how great's that going to be? Oh, it's going to be fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Again, the album will be called New World Woman, and hopefully it'll be released before Rush Fest Scotland 2023. And I can't wait for it. I know Jerry can't wait for it. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, find us at The Rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. Let him know what you thought of our conversation with Leone Jane Kennedy. The bass intro and outro, that's Lex. And Jerry, hope you have a great quote to wrap this up for us. I do. I, th I don't think I've ever quoted from this song before, but of course, it's tears. Ah. What would touch me deeper? Tears that fall from eyes that only cry. Would it touch you deeper than tears that fall from eyes that know why? 
Wow. Thanks, Jer. All right. See you later. <laughs>